Hello and welcome to the Inside Events Podcast powered by Swapcard. This podcast is made for and by event professionals to deep dive into our industry and discuss how events are ever evolving. You'll learn more about new business models, hybrid experiences, and tech stacks. You're listening to me, Bob Chain, Strategic Account Manager here at Swapcard, the leading virtual AI-powered event and networking platform that propels hybrid experiences into the future. Good afternoon, marketing and event professionals, and welcome to the Inside Events podcast powered by SwapGuard. I am so excited to welcome everyone to 2021 and feel like there's no better way to kick off the year than by introducing myself as your new host for this exploration into all things events, marketing, and hybrid. There are so many interesting innovations going on within our space, and we are thrilled at the opportunity to highlight some of the top minds within the industry and lean on their experiences to drive innovation within the space. As always, I'm your host, Bob Chain, one of the strategic account managers here at Swapcard. And over the course of 2020, with the introduction of digital first experiences, we have found that although physical travel may not be possible due to the global pandemic, digital first experiences really have opened us up to reach new audiences and potentially members of our community. As such, I really wanted to take this first episode in 2021 to focus on this new opportunity that exists within global audiences, as well as the you know, challenge needing to develop these experiences across cultures. With this in mind, I'm very thrilled to introduce our first two guests of the new year who have incredible global backgrounds within the event space. First is Caroline Melly, who is the experience strategist and helps uh, businesses create experiences for their employees, clients, and guests through workshops, speaking, and consulting. She is currently based out of Montenegro, but has traveled to over 41 countries and is a true global expert. Her background does include developing experiences for Cirque du Soleil across 17 countries and 50 cities focusing on VIP experiences to those top level partners and customers. Caroline, welcome to Inside Events. Hey, thank you so much. And that was a great intro, super excited. Also with us today, we have John Pissati, who is an experienced architect at Endless Events. John comes to us with over 10 years experience in managing complex logistics at hotels, convention centers, universities, outdoor venues, just to name a few. With an event technology focus, he's really devoted his time to virtual experience design as well as live streaming and content marketing. John is also working on multiple global experiences with endless events this year, including one that will be taking place in Washington, D.C., Dubai, Tokyo, and Cancun, as well as reaching an additional 20 to 30 countries digital as well. John, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks, Robert. So happy to be here. Now, Obviously, Caroline, to start with you, I did a brief overview, but I would just love if you could frame for the audience a little bit uh, deeper of your background and really as it relates to more of this global perspective that we're looking to take today. Yes, absolutely. I started in hospitality as a lot of young students do. And I eventually had the opportunity to work for Cirque du Soleil. I was originally a local employee when they came to my city in Australia. And that began a 10 year long love affair with the company where I got to join them on tour in a number of different front of house roles. Like you mentioned in the intro, I really specialize in VIP experiences. And 
because I was rolling out very similar experiences, but in new countries every six to eight weeks or new cities, it gave me this incredible insight into behavior of different cultures, how they arrive at different events, how what actually gets them going, how they respond to different elements of a great event. And it was something that was continually changing, but at the same time, there were a lot of commonalities. So I really took all of that experience into what I'm doing now as an experienced strategist. And I also was able to intertwine that in a number of other roles, working for Lululemon Athletica, helping them create in-store experiences, helping them opening new stores. And I also ran the entertainment department on a cruise ship. So that's a completely different type of event, but still an event where you're taking groups of people from all over the world and creating exceptional experiences from that. So super global, like you mentioned, but incredible learning along the way as to what can we do uniquely and what can we do to actually bring these people together under that one umbrella of how can we create an incredible experience that's actually going to impact them in a positive way? No, I absolutely love it. I think that'll be a great framework for us to discuss, especially as we start to dive into how digital allows us to go cross-border so easily and reach new audiences. John, I'm going to ask you the same question just to allow our audience to get a little bit more understanding about the work that you're doing today, especially as it comes to digital. Awesome. Yeah. Like Caroline, I also have a really strong background working in live events, uh, producing large-scale conferences, as well as concerts with big EDM and hip-hop artists, uh, as a lighting designer, as an audio engineer. So some of the things that I'm really focused on is how do we transfer some of that magic from the live large scale events into a digital experience? And how do we really connect people? Obviously, information is super important, but I think at the end of the day, the reason why people want to attend events is for the opportunity to have interaction and to have engagement. So those are the the kind of conversations I'm really excited to have with my clients. No, I love that. And, and Caroline, I'm going to start with you. And one of the things that you just said was this idea of new countries, but same experiences. And I think one of the interesting developments that has really occurred over this past year, especially with the adoption of these digital first experiences, is that the regional monopolies, which we previously had existed, no longer are there. The barrier of entry for me to, say, go to an event that was historically held in the United Kingdom is a lot more accessible and really can be viewed as an opportunity, but also a threat. I would be interested to hear how you are viewing this concept with your clients today, and then maybe how your experience has allowed you to better plan for the ability to reach new audiences as you were with Cirque du Soleil. Whenever somebody goes on experience, they they have a goal in mind, right? They want to experience something, like I mentioned before, that's going to impact them in, in a positive way for the most part. And what's interesting about the virtual event space, and like you're saying, where those borders kind of no longer exist at the moment because we are able to enter experiences that we never would have done before, such as virtual experiences of museums is a perfect example. You may have never, ever been able to travel before to Paris, But now you can actually do a virtual tour of the Louvre, for example. So for me, the conversations that I'm having is people have not lost the curiosity 
of what a place is going to bring to their lives. Even though they're not able to travel to London for that great event, they're still interested in London and they're still interested in where everybody else comes from. I think that's one of the most interesting elements of an event. At the beginning of an event, when they say, put your hand up if you're from the United States, put your hand up if you're from South Africa. And it's really cool to see where everybody is from because you're there to share a common experience, but you come from completely different ways of living. You come from different backgrounds. You come from different cultures. And so really that element of curiosity, I think, gives us that ability to curate our audience in a way. So really focusing on little aspects of where these people are coming from to really surprise the guests. And I'll give you a perfect example. At Cirque du Soleil, in pretty much every show, there's a clown act. And the clowns, for the most part, do not uh, perform in any language. They make up a language because the idea is that you interpret what they're doing in your own way. The biggest applause and the biggest surprise and the biggest reaction from the audience always happened when the clowns actually took a local colloquial phrase or they they took time to learn something in the language and actually intertwine that into the act the crowd would go absolutely nuts because that showed that Cirque du Soleil as a brand that these clowns as an as experts in their field took time to actually respect the place that they were in, took time to actually learn a little bit from a cultural perspective and actually really made that part of the act. And so I think this idea of curation and how you can still bring in all of these incredible cultural elements where people are not only learning about the content in the experience, but where everybody is coming from even though those borders don't exist necessarily because people are not flying to events, they still exist. And people are joining events from all over the world. When I think the idea of curating to the audience is really key there. And John, obviously you are doing a lot of work actively planning virtual experiences for international communities today. So it would be interested to hear how you and your team are viewing this opportunity and also looking at what, opportunities could be out there for reaching new audiences. Absolutely. <clears throat> Caroline, I really love what your comment about just understanding the audience. And when we talk about regional uh, monopolies as both threats, I think, as and also opportunities, the first thing that kind of comes to mind is CES, which should be happening right now. And a number of these large trade shows, which were starting to migrate to Las Vegas because of the, the size of uh, the, the ballroom space, the, the capacity of the city to be able to hold it. So now we've seen that you can really host a virtual event from any city, from uh, CEO's bedroom, essentially, for us to do live stream and broadcast. And I think that where that creates a lot of also great opportunities is then how do we recreate that sense of place? Or one of the draws for conferences was that the travel, like for many professionals, this was maybe their one work slash vacation per year. So they would get to travel to a hotel, the food and beverage experience, all these things. So how do we reinvite that element back into it? Whether that's shipping Chicago pizzas to everybody at their house or having a special moment that brings back that sense of place or that sense of regionality. And, and then just from a larger opportunity, 
absolutely, I think we're seeing a, a huge increase in the, the number of attendees that can uh, participate because they've decreased the barrier for travel. We're seeing a shorter registration cycle because people don't have to book flights and hotels. So that is making event planners more nervous because they don't know how many attendees are going to be for sure attending until maybe a month or two weeks out, but that we are seeing across the board attendance is actually up. So I think that those are some of the, the unique opportunities that this situation is present for our virtual experiences. John, one of the questions I would have for you is obviously you were mentioning that attendance is up, greater reach and things like that. What type of benefits or opportunities are you working from a strategy standpoint with your clients on? What does this bring to us as we look ahead into 2021 and the introduction of, say, hybrid experiences and even maybe a longer roadmap of how does this build out our community even? Yes. The first thing to note is I think people are really desperate to get back in person. And there is a sense from the event community that we're really excited about the vaccine and for people to be able to start to have meetings in person. But I think that either way, whether that's sooner or later that we start to get back in small or large numbers, that the digital component will always be there. So I think that's one of the first things. And then when we talk about personalization and how do we create experiences that are catered to our audience? And I think that those are a lot of the conversations that I'm excited to have with clients. Some of the ways that could look is maybe back to this regionality is that if there's different locations that maybe we're presenting different content that is interesting to those different locations, or we talk a lot about hub and spoke model for sometimes for hybrid events where we'll have larger hubs where the general sessions are happening and then smaller breakouts, which are the spokes. And so maybe some of the content that's happening at the hubs is really interesting to everyone, but maybe some of the content that's happening at the spokes is also really interesting. For instance, for people who are in New Zealand or some of these countries that are doing really well with COVID, people are interested to hear back from those smaller regions about what are the successes, what are things like in that area. So I think that those are some of the, the ways that this is creating new opportunities. And then in terms of, although we're seeing attendance is up, I think the real challenge is how do we keep engagement up? So I think we're seeing that beyond the really exciting keynote celebrity speaker, that there can definitely be a significant amount of attrition, whether that's just people are overwhelmed, Zoom fatigue, whatever you wanna call it. Something we talk about a lot in our organization, you never hear people talk about Netflix fatigue, about how people are binge watching hours on end, 20 hours of, of the, the same series in a seating. So how do we get people to have that same kind of like interest and really desire to go just as if they were to attend a music festival that has a hundred of their favorite top artists? So again, I really think so much of this, when we talk about engagement, has to do with programming and not just about the technology, but how do you deliver content that people really want to hear? I really like the how do you keep engagement up, especially with those increased attendance number. And Caroline, this is something I'd want to lean on you a little bit, especially given your experience planning and managing global, I guess, regional-based experiences across multiple countries, because they, they do bring an additional level of complexity with them. And I would be interested to hear maybe different challenges that you face bringing these experiences to uh, new audiences, or what frameworks did you use to create those same levels of engagement 
to say a new audience that may experience it slightly different than one that you were previously planning for. Yeah, and I love, uh, John, how you mentioned about really engaging across the entire event. And that's something that I talk about a lot in creating as many opportunities for defining moments throughout the entire experience. Because you may have that one celebrity, that one main keynote speaker, but that, not, that may not be the draw for every single individual. And if all your focus in the planning goes on to that one moment, you are really leaving the ball wide open for so many incredible micro moments along the way that could have really drawn your guest in and created a, a defining moment for them. And so when I think about Cirque du Soleil, for example, everybody goes for Cirque du Soleil for the show. Nobody goes for Cirque du Soleil for an overpriced box of popcorn or the swag, even though those elements make up the experience. When you go to a Cirque du Soleil show, you are there for the one and a half, two hour incredible show that you're about to see. And the challenge obviously that we had was how do we create an experience for the entire thing, not just for the show? Because if a guest arrives the parking was full or they didn't know how to get to the parking. The security was super rude to them, made them take everything out of their bag. At the box office, they couldn't find their ticket, even though they got told it was there. They had to line up for 30 minutes for the bathroom, et cetera, et cetera. If all of those elements were in place, the show is amazing. They still may not have raved about this experience to everyone they know because yeah, the show was great, but everything else along the way was terrible let's say as an example. And so when we were working across cultures and really going from one place to the next, the biggest key for me was in language. So for example, Cirque du Soleil is a Quebecois company from Canada. If we had used the signage of Quebecois French in Paris, France, we would have automatically had a disengagement from the guests because they would have seen that and be offended by that just the same way as in when you compare America to Australia to the UK. There are different elements of the, that local culture that need to be considered. And for example, when I was in Russia, I don't speak Russian and I had a translator with me the entire time. And my job really in that role that I was directing the entire front of house was how can I keep the brand integrity of Cirque du Soleil yet respect a culture that is incredibly different to any other culture that I've been to thus far in, in my work with Cirque du Soleil. So I had to do a lot of research and the best way to do that was really interacting with my local staff. So even if we're talking about a virtual world is how can you connect with people from those places that really have that insight into cultural behavior, into human behavior of the potential guests that are coming? Is there a region for, let's say, for the most part, where they're going to be late all the time? I can think of a number of regions. The same way that I would train customer service in the United States is definitely not how I would train customer service in Europe and definitely not in Russia. So there's so many different elements that you have to consider. And I think that cultural sen sensitivity and not only sensitivity, but again, that appreciation of the place that you're in or where your guests are coming from can actually move the engagement, can actually move those defining moments and the success of the experience so much more than I think 
people give it credit for. There's so much power in that intentionality of let's bring elements from this culture that we're in, from the language, from the traditions, and make that part of the experience and surprise those guests. No, I love that. And especially the idea of leaning on your staff from either those regions and things like that. And I think especially for those planners um, and organizers who are listening today, they may not have a global staff or they may have all of our staff is located in this specific region, either in the United States or in EMEA or across the globe, but you do have audience members. Like what John was saying earlier was that all of these new people that you're reaching are now members of your community that you as an organizer can lean on and can start to take their insights, survey them, interview them, everything so that you have that complete understanding of, hey, this is how best we can potentially target your regions and expand that audience that exists there. John, I know that obviously you are working on those few international events. So I guess similar question along the idea of brand identity, knowing that's one of the key elements and benefits to hosting global-based experiences is that you can get your brand out to everyone for a relatively economical cost. How are you really approaching this as a way to either segment your audience or trying to figure out where it makes sense to even target to start? Yeah, there's so many ways that that we can do that. Again, I think that part of that is the technology, but so much of that has to do with planning and understanding who is the audience. How do you segment them? I think there's a couple key ways that we can do that. Like, for instance, if we look at pharmaceutical companies, there's certain rules and regulations that uh, prohibit them from gaining access to soliciting doctors. So if we have a pharmaceutical company that is wanting to be a sponsor or host a quote unquote exhibitor booth, which ends up being a separate web page within the virtual experience website that maybe we're segmenting that off from the doctor population. So that's just like one example of it, but I think <laughs> there's so many ways that we can do that. We can do that regionally. We can do that based off of people's interests. I think one of the really fascinating ways that people are, again, just really starting to scratch the surface of how to do this is what is the appearance of the, what does the website look like? So Netflix, for instance, does this really well. I wrote an article on LinkedIn uh, a few years ago about personalization. And one of the things that Netflix does is that when you, let's say you're really into comedies, they might suggest goodwill hunting with a specific image of Matt Damon laughing, but maybe you're really into romance or drama and it may show a picture of Robin Williams looking almost like sad. So not just recommending certain content, but what is the image that you're using to recommend it? I think that those are some of the really fascinating ways in terms of how do we segment or how do we drive content and engagement? And one of the things that you just brought up that I think is so important is you know, surveying, like asking people. So there's a really incredible company that's called um, Hot Dokimazo. And one of the things that they do is that they actually crowdsource some of the topics for the event live in the first session of the event. So I think that some of these concepts are still, we're really just scratching the surface about how do we deliver segmented content. But a lot of it has to do with, instead of just worrying about the number of speakers and the agenda and the breaks and all those kind of logistics, like taking a step back and doing some more design and we use event design canvas and there's a number of other different philosophies and strategies to say, okay, 
what is the objective? What are your clients or your attendees really want to get out of this experience? Are there different things to Caroline's point? Maybe some people have different reasons for attending this event. And I think that's really how you get to a, a high net promoter score is by making sure that the experience you're delivering is what your attendees actually want. So one of the things that you just mentioned there was that access to data and surveying and things like that. And I think that's going to be one of the big differentiators as we head into uh, 2021 and especially through the development of hybrid experiences is that it's great to almost throw that wide net and try and capture as many of these new audience members from a global perspective as possible. But at some point, there is going to be almost that inflection point of where does it make sense from an efficiency standpoint? Where does it make sense for my team and what my goals and my organization are? But when it comes to the virtual experiences that we're seeing today and any type of future digital elements, all of this data and information is incredible where we can start to pair all of those behavioral actions with that registration data that we're sitting on and start to actually really develop those customer journeys for, like Caroline was mentioning, the different parts of the world of here's different ways that we can target those individuals, but also become more efficient in reaching out to them. And I think, Caroline, even today, right now, you're based in Montenegro on a completely different time zone than where I'm at here in Chicago and John out on the West Coast. We're all seeing a, a 10 hour difference on this podcast right now. As you are working with your clients to potentially go out to different time zones and things like that, how are, from a tactical sense, you working to potentially reach different people throughout the day even, knowing that working hours are different? I think, and I love this idea of surveying and it's incredibly important. And I'm going to give the example of an incredible company called Pangea Dreams. They do female entrepreneurial retreats, in-person retreats. So obviously now they're not running, but I went on a retreat with them to Greece. And by the time that I went on that retreat, I already felt so intertwined in that community. I was already learning things before I even got there and I also felt that I was already friends with the group of people that I hadn't even met yet. And we were from all over the world. Like, honestly, there was a group of about 10 of us and we were from all corners of the globe. But because the content that we were seeing and creating and the way that we were interacting for us, it was a WhatsApp group because there wasn't many of us. But because that company, Pangea Dreams, put so much emphasis on the before the event and how they can actually unite and connect their guests, by the time we got to the experience, it was like we'd or it was like we were on the second week of the retreat and we hadn't even got there yet. And that really had to do with that idea of what really does each person want to get out of the events? And John mentioned this before as well, when you're looking at surveying and, and getting to know your customers before they actually come. If my value, if, if what I wanted to get out of the event was I wanted to learn more about photography, the event organizer could easily link me up with the three other girls that were also interested in that. Whereas maybe somebody really came on the retreat because they wanted to create their website. So maybe there was a couple of techie people there and, and they could form almost like a, a little mini group within that big group. 
So that was an event that I didn't run, but I was part of where I felt that the curation of that pre-event actually made the experience just above and beyond anything that I ever imagined. And we were from all over the globe. So we were consuming content and receiving the information in a couple of different ways. So there was the formal email that had all the details. There was the WhatsApp group that obviously you could respond to in your own time. There were different videos that, you know, were sent out through social media. And so there was a number of different platforms. So no matter where you were, what time zone you were in, no matter what kind of mood you were in, you were able to actually connect with somebody that was going on the retreat. You were able to learn something and you were able to feel part of that community. Like I mentioned before, you even got there. And I work, when I'm working with clients, I work a lot on that element as well, that before, how can you make your guests, they've signed up, now it's virtual, they've signed up via email, they've got the link, they'll get a reminder a couple of days before, but how can you help? invite them to fall in love with your brand so by the time they get to the experience they're like oh this is a done deal like I'm already in love with these guys I've been waiting for this day but I've already met 10 other people that are coming into this virtual experience I've even jumped on whatsapp with one of them you know like so there's so many elements that can happen before and I think if you're thinking that time zone is a barrier I think you need to almost rethink your strategy because what we've learned this year or, or sorry last year in 2020 is that there is no time barriers anymore. You can connect with anyone no matter what time it is. Now, obviously with time being a very consistent theme in this conversation, John, we're no longer tied to the fiscal constraints of saying a three-day purchasing of a convention center along those lines. Mm -hmm. And, And how are you really shifting your vision of the customer journey from one that is really focused on this hyper-condensed time frame and almost spike um, that occurs at a point throughout the calendar to one that is more, say, year-round or reinforced by these in-person experiences and then bring in some of those digital elements as well? That's a great question. I think the first thing is that we are always so stuck in this like, mode of we've always done it like this. And even over the past five or 10 years, we've seen the shift from the four-day conference with the second or third day having 12 hours of programming with a a gala event in the evening to a three-day event to the Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, but the Friday event is at noon to the two-day event because there was so much attrition on Friday because all the executives were trying to get back on their first flight on Friday out. So I think we've already seen the timeline of events kind of contract, but now this has opened up this whole, to your point about having to rent out a ballroom, we're starting to see events. There's a number of events that I'm planning next year that they're actually doing like Monday and Tuesday, two weeks in a row. So again, there are no rules related to time zones, even like, why do we have to have events that start at eight o'clock, either Pacific or Eastern time? Like why not do noon to three? Why not do evening events so that people on the other side of the globe can do it in early in the morning? Also the fact that a lot of this content is now on demand. So of course it's being broadcast and debuted live, but is it possible for it to actually happen asynchronously, which is a huge topic just in the remote work field in general. So. Those are some of the things like there are no rules. Like, like, why are we doing something that is not customer centric, that is not audience centric? 
And I think that, again, part of the challenge is that that doesn't mean that organizations don't have a lot of content and things that they want to deliver and CEOs who want to talk uh, for an hour and a half, two hours unabated. So again, how do we find ways that we can not only create the space for them to deliver the content, but I think the other really important element is the in-between sections. Like for me, the most important element of conferences and events was always the coffee break. That is where I got the most value in between the informational sessions where I would meet people, interact with people, the serendipity of just bumping into somebody. So again, I think that's a really important thing of not just the structured time in the agenda, but where's the unstructured time? Where's the networking element? What, how much time are we allocating for those kind of things? I think those are really important conversations as we just throw out the old playbook. Let's just start over from scratch or what works best. What, how do we want to reinvent events? I really like that, especially the idea of trying to figure out those serendipitous moments, because I feel like that naturally is one of the greatest challenges as we were thrusted into virtual only and are really trying to rewrite that playbook, like you were mentioning, John, of looking into hybrid experiences is how do you create that standing in the line moment for that coffee physically next to somebody, or you're on an airplane all from Chicago going out to San Francisco, and you're probably 60% of everyone on that flight are going to the same exact event for the same purpose, and you can start to have those random moments. And it's what type of tools exist out there that are now at our disposal, whether it be like the AI matchmaking or other types of elements that can, in a way, try and recreate this using those data elements and things like that, which are now at our disposal and trying to almost intertwine that into our customer journey. And going back to kind of the redefining the roles, one of the things that I would just love to tee up to the both of you as we're getting towards the second half of this conversation is as we're now looking ahead to 2021 and and we're really looking to redefine the roles, Caroline, to start with you, where are you really looking to explore or what makes you excited as we head into this new year when working, say, with your clients or things that you're like, this is something I really want to test, I want to go after along those lines? What I'm seeing right now is a lot of creativity and a lot of that is coming out of necessity. For example, a client that I have is a a small villa in Italy And they have not been able to have any guests. So from a business point of view and their livelihood point of view, they have had to get creative with how they are rolling out their experience. And they did something really cool where they started, they actually partnered with a local olive oil mill and they've sold, been selling their olive oil. And I was helping them with that experience to their guests. So really, I'm most excited about the creativity that is coming out right now and how can we redefine an event because the motivation to have an incredible experience still exists and I would even argue that it's even stronger now with a year where there was so much isolation, so much polarity, so much negativity and stress, this need for an incredible experience where you're able to connect deeply with somebody else 
where you're able to learn more about yourself, where you're able to learn more about other people's realities is heightened, I think now. I think it's an element that's always been there, but I think now people are craving, I think we touched on it before, craving that experience where they get to meet somebody new, to speak with somebody new. And so when I'm working with my clients, I like to get as creative as possible because John was mentioning it's in all of those like down moments that we used to consider the, the line at the coffee, the line at the coffee stand, the bathroom break, even before the doors to the venue opened, you have everyone gathered outside, which is the perfect moment because everyone's super excited or they're nervous or they're feeling a bit vulnerable or they have a bit of social anxiety, all of those physical aspects that we used to have. Now, how can we get really creative? So from my point of view, it's almost like we we mentioned like there's no more rules in terms of time. I also think that there's this incredible opportunity to take something that we only ever once thought was a physical experience. So how can we create the same level of impact, connectivity, vulnerability, if that's the style of the event, and actually create something that's equally as impactful? I don't think anything will get there in terms of the live experience. But that element of let's just think for a minute, completely outside the box at the most craziest ideas. Now let's work back to something that we can actually put together. And also what are the technologies that have cropped up in this year that have sprouted that we can actually use to our advantage to really harness that creativity and and make something that is actually truly unique and maybe even more unique than my clients' businesses beforehand because they were just going through day-to-day doing what they thought. You mentioned doing what they thought they've always done is is the best way forward. Now they've had to be creative. They've made a switch and, huh, okay, maybe let's try this. So I think that is a really exciting element for me. Obviously going off the creativity standpoint, I think that if you look at the event space, from a very holistic and general viewpoint. A lot of our innovation cycle was essentially a calendar year before. We were just like, okay, we're, we're at the event. Here is the survey that we get. Now we can implement it. But our first implementation is a year from now. So obviously the, the amount of information that, or innovation that we can actually have is greatly heightened now that we can actually go in and take and test these different theories. And like you were saying, Caroline, really try and expand on that creativity and see what makes most sense for our audience and try these different things because we don't have the same level of, say, capital investment required to, say, get all of our audience into one place or to book out an entire convention center, bring in a general services contract, things like that. We can test things out via lower cost vehicles like technologies and things like that or very hyper-regionalized personal shows, and then expand upon those that we have success in. Continuing down these lines of redefining the rules, John, I'd just love to toss this back to you and hear how you are looking ahead to 2021 and getting excited about this year. Yeah, there's so much opportunity out there for virtual events. And I think there's these different waves that we see of the initial one was like, oh my God, our event just got canceled. We have to do a virtual event. Oh, this is terrible. And then the second wave is like, oh, wow, this presents a lot of really unique, interesting opportunities. One of the things you were talking about was like the analytics and the, the registration or what sessions they're attending, what things are they clicking? What are they downloading? All that kind of rich information. 
And then now back all the way around to people who are like, you know what, I don't really even think we like virtual events anymore. This is, I think we're just ready to go back to live in-person events. And we're just hoping that this is going to work out this year and that we're all going to be in a 5,000 person ballroom, which I think is totally unrealistic in the short term. And so again, I think that like we're seeing these different waves of like excitement and apathy. And I think that we're going to see a, another huge resurgence back in virtual events. So at the same time that people are talking about, we're not really that excited about virtual events or our CEO isn't or whoever it is that we're seeing interesting phenomena happen. For instance, Clubhouse, Twitter is launching their new similar product, which is called Twitter Spaces. So I think that if you take a cue from the popularity of a lot of these other kind of social or to an extent they are events, virtual event platforms. I think that there is a huge opportunity for 2021. And I think that the, the biggest thing that I'm talking about with clients is it's really important to get started very early in this process. As much as rehearsals were important for live events, and a lot of times we'd have the most important person in the company would just want to wing it and just be like, I don't need to rehearse or show up with a few cocktails the, the night before to try to do a quick run through of slides that we're, now we're seeing the importance of planning and rehearsals and really, I think even more so strategy. Like those are the really key focal points for having a successful virtual event in 2021 and beyond. I, I think the other thing with virtual experiences right now is that especially from the organizer perspective, a lot of people are imagining virtual experiences as being a single event of, okay, I have an on-site experience and a virtual element going on at the same exact time, same exact time frame. But really where, at least from my perspective, where I see some of the greatest opportunity is trying to intertwine over the course of a year of how do these two almost blend into each other? How do you start at an in-person, on-site event really take that excitement and almost marry and partner it throughout the year with virtual experiences, hybrid experiences, other connection points and things like that. Or even going back to that hub and spoke method that John, you were mentioning, or with Caroline reaching those different cities over a single time frame. I think that's going to be one of the very interesting opportunities as we uh, try to rewrite this playbook of seeing, okay, where do these fit into um, each other? And how do you almost create that connection across your audience as well? Now, as we look to wrap up our episode today, we always like to finish with our final four quick fire questions for each of you so that our audience can get to know you a little bit better. So I will go ahead and start with Caroline, just rapid fire. Here we go. Starting off with number one. Is there a CEO or marketing professional that you are following or keeping tabs on these days? Yeah, there's a young guy out of London, Iman Gadji, and he's a social media marketer. And he everything he does is high quality. And I'm so inspired by him almost on a daily basis. So he's my number one right now. What is something that you have failed at? Oh my gosh, so many things. I think assuming that I know what my clients want as I'm creating my offers and I've learned the hard way that I need to be a lot more attentive and a lot more inquisitive before I go and create something like that. In your eyes, what is the single key idea to keep top of mind when planning a successful event in 2021? 
defining moments. I talk about it all day long. How can you be intentional? How can you be vulnerable? How can you create incredible connection by creating as many opportunities for defining moments in your experience? And to wrap it up, what do you wish your 20 year old self knew? I think that there was so much opportunity out there that was really outside of the box. I've been an employee my entire life up until now. And now I'm really transitioning from that employee mindset. And I wish that I'd been exposed to that earlier on to really get that curiosity about what other ways of, of creating experiences there are out there. John, same four questions. Is there a CEO or marketing professional that you are keeping tabs on these days? Uh, yes, yeah, so many. I think one that I want to throw that's a little bit out of the box is uh, Timbaland and Swiss Beats, who during the pandemic launched this whole Versus, which is these like kind of battles between two artists. And I think that a lot of people could draw from some of their successes with that platform. Now, what is something that you have failed at? Yeah, the list is long on that, but I think that one of the things that I'm focusing on right now is making sure that I'm providing as many of the, the services to help with the pain points of my clients and not being limited just to the things that I think that they need, but really just being their one-stop shop. Now, in your eyes, what is the one single key idea to keep in mind when planning a successful event in 2021? Definitely going to be strategy. I think that just going back to the drawing board and understanding what is the purpose and how do we align every single moment of the event with the, the purpose of the organization. And to wrap us all up, what do you wish your 20-year-old self knew? Funny story, I got started in hospitality working in the kitchen at the Playboy Mansion, and I no one had ever told me that this was a real thing, that planning events and working with celebrities was a, a real profession. And I didn't really fall into it full time for another decade. Just understanding that this is a really important and valuable service that we provide both to organizations and just the community and society at large. Caroline Melly, the experienced strategist and founder of her own practice, John Pisati, experienced architect at Endless Events. Thank you both for joining today and all your incredible insights. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. It was great. Thank you for listening to the Inside Events podcast by Swapcard. Tweet us using the hashtag Inside Events and be sure to subscribe via your favorite podcast platform to be the first to get access right as they drop. As always, stay innovative and see you next month.